Hey, good morning, everybody. Hope you had a great Christmas with your family. I know we did. And I hear some of you coughing out there, so that's good. Join me in the... I picked up that head cold that's going around, so that's... So if I sound funny this morning, that's why. Uh, the other thing, one of my pet peeves is when we go through things and then we never find out at church so that we can pray for you. So um, I want you to be aware. Uh, so not only do I have a head cold, but I also have an abscessed tooth. All right? So, Yeah. Well, and then on top of it, on Tuesday, I go in for eye surgery. All right? So, yeah, it's a trifecta. So you can pray for me at 5.30 in the morning, Tuesday. Pam hauls me down, and it's needles in the eye thing kind of doing. So uh, for my left eye. So you can pray for me on that. And uh, it's supposed to be good. It's supposed to help. So, uh, but I have a massive floaty thing that I can't hardly read anymore. And, and something in the macular lining that's got to get fixed. That's the real issue. So, um, so you can pray for me on that. So uh, that just give you a heads up on that. <clears throat> also, um, Joel and Liz Parks, uh, Liz's mom passed away early Saturday morning. <clears throat> and uh, she was among us and she came up and they took care of her. Many of you met her. And so you can pray for, for them as a family. You can imagine right during the holiday season, that's a hard thing as well. So um, there are no overheads this morning because I was sick and it's Christmas and nobody was in the office, so uh, we're going to go old school and you'll actually have to go to the Word yourself and open up your Bibles or your iPhone or whatever you, you use this morning. But the topic we're going to talk about is um, <clears throat> an important one. It's directly tied to uh, the issue of Christmas. Um, often gets bypassed at Christmas for good reason because um, it kind of puts a damper on the whole thing. But uh, I want to talk about being divided by the light this morning. And so let's pray before we start. Father, pray that you'd help my voice get through this. And uh, you say in our weakness you're made strong, so may this be a great morning in your spirit. And may you uh, bring conviction and may you bring clarity. May you bring resolve and steadfastness uh, to us as a group of people this morning. And we, pray, we seek you for that in the name of your Son. Amen. Okay, so we're starting in Luke chapter 2 and just going back to that passage where Mary and uh, Joseph bring Jesus into the temple and Simeon meets them and he <coughs> blesses them. For Simeon, it's a pretty significant event because uh, God has revealed by the Holy Spirit uh, to Simeon that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. And so you can imagine if you're an older older man in your late 70s or 80s and you've been waiting and you know that God is going to reveal something before you die. What a significant moment it was for him. But then Simeon says something in this passage that is significant. Is he blessed them, blessed Joseph and Mary and the baby and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, too. You know, and, and we like to kind of avoid that, because, you know, Christmas is a fantastic time, right? I mean, the, the food, the decorations, the gifts, the expressions of love. I mean, both to God and each other, they're exceptional. There's something that rings out at this time of year that's, that's, that's really cool. And as I said, I hope it, uh, you made it to... One of the Christmas Eve services, they were, it was a blessed time together. We had 
three services, and it was really a sweet deal. But I hope Christmas was all of that for you and your family, a blessed time together with maybe even a little rest squeezed in there, right, in that pocket deal. But if the whole story and the truth be told, Christmas is marred by something, uh, something right from the beginning, a dark shadow of prophecy passes over the light of God's entrance into humanity, one that's um, easy to gloss over, but in fact, it really never goes away. It kind of marks the beginning of when Jesus comes. Simeon makes a statement to Mary that will become all too true in about 30 years. Her son will become a sign to be spoken against. He will cause the rising and the falling of many in Israel, but he must first fall himself. And thus, Simeon's remark that a sword will pierce your own soul takes on added uh, dimensions. Mary at the time when he said it didn't know what it meant, but it said Mary took all those statements that were made at that time and treasured them up in her heart. Obvious as a mom, she pondered it. What, what did that mean? What, did, what does the falling look like? I want to take you to Isaiah 53 this morning. If you'd turn there or flip there. Isaiah says this about the falling. The falling, Jesus is falling from a human perspective, is catastrophic. Um, just We'll read some of it here. It says, Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. That's going to be important. We'll come back to that. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, and yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's more you can read. That whole chapter speaks about the falling of Jesus, the crushing of Jesus that uh, Simeon was predicting and uh, to Mary at this moment. But Jesus also has a take on this uh, himself of what Simeon said when he said, this child will be destined for the rising and falling of many in Israel when, you, uh, when he becomes a man and takes on a ministry, he says in Matthew chapter 10, so if you go to Matthew chapter 10, and look there, I'll give you a chance to flip over, looking at verse 34. Jesus says this, he says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace for, for the earth, or to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. When Jesus says this, he's laying out some categories of some of the closest relationships that exist. Uh, a, a son and his father, uh, a mom and her daughter, uh, 
son-in-laws to daughter-in-laws, uh, mother-in-laws, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, we have all the jokes about mother-in-laws. I personally love my mother-in-law. I have a wonderful relationship with her. And, uh, and he's talking about something is going to come that um, is a sword in these kind of relationships. And we've been talking about the light, uh, and the theme is the light of Christmas. And we've <coughs> spent time on that all through December, uh, talking about different aspects of the light and how it plays into the Christmas story. I've had a wonderful theme with it. But one of the things that uh, intrinsically we have to understand is that light divides. Light divides light into darkness. And one of the things that says is that those who are attracted to the light um, respond to God's offer, but the men tend to love the darkness rather than the light. And so there's a division that comes with light. Because you have to decide, are you going to move into the light or are you going to stay in the darkness? And all of us have felt that battle in our life when we've lied or done different things that have uh, tainted our relationship with God. We've done something and we literally say, well, it feels like God left me or we, it feels like I'm walking in darkness, right? <clears throat> but this dividing piece, this sword is huge. What is this sword that we're talking about? What is this dividing of the light? Uh, if you go to Matthew 16, so just a few chapters, we were in 10, go to Matthew 16. There's a, a place where Jesus takes a break with his disciples and he goes up to Caesarea Philippi and they're talking and there's a lot of discussion and anticipation is high. And Jesus asks, <coughs> excuse me, asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Right? And you can imagine he kind of leaves a pregnant pause there. Who do people say that I am? And they, they throw some ideas out. It probably isn't as clipped as this to say, but they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. You know, John was beheaded. And some say you're him resurrected. So others uh, think you're uh, Elijah, right, coming back. Others have said, well, you're actually... Jeremiah, one of the prophets of old that have been raised up. And um, you know, so there's a lot of different takes on who uh, Jesus was. And then Jesus um, turns the conversation and says, but what about you? What about you? And here was this question, who do you say I am? And Peter, uh, in one of Peter's great moments, Peter didn't always have great moments, this is one of his great ones, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you know, Peter, you're blessed because you said that. And actually, God revealed that to you. That's the reason you know that. You didn't come to it on your own. But this division, this sword is over the person. Here's, right here is the sword, the dividing of light from darkness. It's a watershed issue of all reality. What do I mean by watershed? A lot of us um, have or uh, do right now hike right in the Cascades or uh, I've had the privilege to hike in the Rocky Mountains and stuff and uh, you might have driven over a continental divide but there's certain places you get in the mountains <coughs> and it's really cool because when you get to a certain place and you're up at the top of the peak there are places where from that place peak the water either goes this way or it goes this way right it's called the divide and uh there are actually places 
um, in the mountains where you can see springs come out and springs are on one side are heading to the east and on the other side are heading to the west, right? And, uh, and then they take their respective courses and those little rivulets become streams, those little streams become creeks, and those little creeks become rivers and then they flow out to their respective oceans. But the point is the water from that flows the east side doesn't get to the west side and the water from the west side doesn't get to the east side because there's a, a dividing point there. There's a watershed. So it is with Jesus. All of reality divides over who you say he is. It either goes one way or the other. From the scriptural perspective, you either head towards him, which means you step into the light, or you go away from him, which means you step into darkness. Light and darkness all flow off the mountain in either one of two directions, depending on how one answers that question. There's another illustration in Scripture that's uh, really a good one, and it's a parallel to light and darkness, and that is the issue of a stumbling block. Uh, it's another analogy. Um, it's used for the same purpose. In Daniel chapter 2, you might want to go there and turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Nebuchadnezzar, at this point, if you don't know the story, is the most powerful king on the face of the earth. He has conquered every known country. All nations are in subjection to him. And he is quite literally the most powerful man on earth. He has a series of very disturbing dreams that um, neither his wise men or enchanters can uh, give him the answer to. And uh, finally Daniel comes in and he's able to interpret the dream. And the dream was that there was this incredible statue. The head was gold, the shoulders and breasts were of silver, the legs were of bronze, and the feet were of iron and clay. And then the king saw out of a mountain uh, this stone that was cut out without hands. And the stone came against the statue and crashed the whole statue. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know what it meant, so he called Daniel in and Daniel gave him the interpretation, he said, the kingdom, these, this statue represents four kingdoms. First kingdom is your kingdom. Second kingdom will be a kingdom that comes after you. Third kingdom will be a kingdom of, of bronze. And then the last will be iron and clay. And so the first one was the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. Second one was of the Persians. The third was the Greeks and uh, Alexander the Great. And the last was Rome and the city, uh, the kingdom of iron and clay, strong as steel, yet brittle. It says another kingdom would come that would crush all of these kingdoms. And it says in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up at the end of the story there. He says, in the time of those kings, God of, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor it will be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and will bring to an end, but it will itself endure. <coughs> excuse me, endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. I want to leapfrog from Daniel then. By the way, Nebuchadnezzar in that story falls prostrate and worships 
the God that Daniel describes. I want to jump and leapfrog from that picture to Matthew 21. You can go to Matthew 21. Work, work a lot of calories off flipping pages this morning. can still have a Christmas cookie this afternoon. Matthew 21, Jesus is telling a, a parable about some tenants, and they're bad tenants. Um, they're um, not grateful, and they are disrespectful. And the, ten, the landowner <coughs> excuse me, sent some representatives, and they beat some up, and they um, end up killing the son that comes. And Jesus says... Uh, what, what do you think the landowner should do with those? And they said, oh, they should, they should run those guys out of town. They should be trashed. And Jesus says uh, to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. See, there was already a division point going on in Jesus' ministry at this point because People were either tremendously attracted to him or really upset and offended by him. And he was extremely offensive um, to people because he claimed to be that capstone. He was claiming to be that rock cut out of the mountain without human hands. And they were uh, hugely offended at that, that Jesus would claim that and upset by that. Luke in chapter 20, you don't have to turn there, but he adds this additional insight. Everyone who falls on that stone, this capstone, will be broken to pieces, but on he who it falls will be crushed. In other words, everybody has to deal with this stone, right? Just like everybody has to deal with the light, and you have to decide one way or the other which way you're going with the light, the same is true with this capstone. Everybody has to deal with it. It um, either breaks you or crushes you. This is a delightful thought, isn't it? Why is that important? Am I trying to be the Grinch? You know, stole Christmas. Actually, I want to bring some clarity about what Christmas is. This baby that we celebrate at Christmas, the baby Jesus, is this stone cut out of the mountain but not by human hands. The very fabric of light and darkness divides over this one person. And it causes enormous offense. It causes enormous division. And that's one thing that we have to anticipate and be prepared for if we are going to worship and honor this baby. I just finished, uh, I meant to bring it and I forgot it this morning, uh, Bill O'Reilly's book, The Killing of Jesus. He's got several books out, The Killing of Kennedy and The Killing of Lincoln. He's got a third one out now called The Killing of Jesus. And one of the things I had known but had kind of forgotten about was the incredible um, antagonism and mockery that early Christians went through. Um, And one of the greatest offenses was the cross, that they would worship somebody who had died on the cross because the cross was the absolute worst social stigma possible. Only the worst of the worst died a death of crucifixion on a cross. And uh, you were the, the miserable lot. 
if you did that. You were, the, as uh, Scripture said, the cursed of God. And so Christians were heartily mocked and uh, uh, ribald just because they said that this person who died on the cross was God. And I had forgotten how much of that was part of the early church and, and what they had to put up with. And, you know, the, the church has had to put up with uh, the mockery of those who oppose Jesus for a long time. And I would suspect that it will get worse, that the division becomes greater, not less. I wish I could say that's not true, and I wish I could say that we'll have peace and harmony in 214 and everything will be wonderful and we'll never have a problem. But I don't see it that way. I don't know about what you read, but what I read, I see stuff stacking up worse. And I see this division over uh, this sword. And what's really at stake here is, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? You know, when Jesus uh, told that tale of the tenants, one of the things, if you look at that story carefully, what you realize is that the tenants who were supposed to be taking care of the property, they had a problem. And their problem was with the landowner. They had an offense against the landowner to the point where they rejected the landowner's claims to the land. Right? And we see this happen, right? We've seen this happen in families where sons or daughters uh, reject parents, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we've seen where uh, people have gained inheritances and, right, disdained the inheritance, right, and, and thrown it away. And um, We've seen uh, illustrations in life where um, total disrespect to the way things were run or how things were set up, um, and there's a lot of uh, mockery and things that go with that. And uh, these tenants, basically what happened was they... Um, hardened up to the point where they were the problem to the landowner. And so they decided to get rid of the landowner. How'd they do that? Well, they decided to get rid of the son who came as the heir. They said, let's get rid of him and then it'll be ours, right? And so basically there was an inside boiling point, an inside um, agitation over the, the rights of the landowner. And I wish I could get this out clearer. Sorry, my voice is struggling to hang in here. But here's the point. Does the landowner give up his claim to the land? No. And he calls those tenants into, into account. Right? That is true for us as sons and daughters of Jesus. God is going to build his kingdom. And one of the things that is our job while we're here at this time is to resolve the daddy issue. Okay? All of us have a huge daddy hole in our hearts, and that is not just with our earthly fathers, but that is also with our heavenly father. And then the question comes down to how do we resolve that? Do we move towards the light, or do we move towards the darkness? When it comes to Jesus being the capstone, um, does it break us, or are we crushed by it? And all of that has to do with the issue of our will, and all of that boils down to this sword, this cutting event, the dividing of light and darkness, who do you say that I am? You notice that even at Jesus' birth, who they claimed him to be set them up for how they responded. Those who claimed he was God worshipped him, 
those who didn't think he was God tried to kill him. Right? And so you have these pictures of light and darkness. And you have this issue of offense. The issue of offense is growing uh, in our world towards God and towards Jesus. It is not getting less. It'll probably increase. How, I don't know. Timing, I don't know. Speed or intensity, I don't know. But um, the truth is, we are commanded to walk in the light. We are commanded to be people of the capstone. In other words, our foundation has to be of Jesus. And therefore, we have to be willing and aware, I think, <coughs> that there are going to be many who mock and jeer and um, have issue with us, not because they have issue with us. Who do they have an issue with? They have an issue with God. They have an issue with Jesus. But because we stand, we're the easiest target available, they will direct it towards us because in their thinking, just like the landowners and the tenants, I'm sorry, the tenants in that parable of the landowner, if you can get rid of the representatives, then you can get rid of the landowner. What I want to suggest is we're probably entering into a period where that stone that was cut out of the mountain is starting to take effect, and it will actually agitate, and there will be a greater division of light and darkness and there will be a greater issue of offense occurring in our culture uh, as we move forward. And one of the things that uh, Christians were known for in the early church was two things. Their amazing composure under that kind of uh, pressure and their amazing response to threats of death or actually being killed. If you read... Uh, the early accounts of the martyrs, and you can find this in Fox's book of martyrs um, and several other books. One of the things that even the non-believers noted was the amazing composure of the believers when they had to face death. They did not die the way other people died. They died with a hope, and they died with blessing, and they died with words of forgiveness on their tongues, and it actually stunned the world so much so that that despised religion flipped and became the institutional religion of Rome. Not sure how good that was, but uh, 300 years later. If he's our bedrock, if he's our capstone, then we are required to respond the same way. And what I want to suggest is that uh, the division of light and darkness is going to increase as we move into 214. It's the whole issue of why Jesus came. He came to be that person. And so the critical question of the universe this morning is that sword. When Jesus asks disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do we say that he is? And to what level do we own it? I always, in our board meetings, and we have wonderful boards, but uh, we'll often vote yes, Right? because we're nice guys and we like each other and we want to vote yes, right? Then I'll ask each other, okay, so how much of that yes do we own? Right? Because you can say yes, but that doesn't mean you're all in. 
right? Christmas Eve service, remember we talked about have to be all in? And uh, how much of that yes do you own? Is it 40% or 65% or 87.3% or 97.7% or is it 100%? And I, I want to suggest that um, most of us are surrendered, most of us are committed, but that we will have to recategorize that to be all in uh, in the future. That there won't be the margin that we've had uh, in the past. And that um, it won't be good to say yes, but be in at about 65.3%. That won't cut it. There's going to come a place where we have to be all in, where uh, this divided by the light, this capstone, this cornerstone, this stumbling block, Jesus is a stumbling block for people. If you don't think so, just start talking to them about them, and you'll find out really quick where the offenses are. Okay? By the way, a lot of them have to do with the church, and for that we should apologize to them. Right? You know what? Sorry. That shouldn't have happened. But does this make sense to you? It's going to be, if we're going to be children of light, which is what we're called, then we will need to be all in on that light. If we are going to be, if we say Jesus is the capstone or the cornerstone, we have to be all on that, all in. <clears throat> because the question of who do we say he is, who do you say that I am, is only going to increase the agitation factor in our culture. Because here's the thing, it's not going to go away. Okay? Jesus isn't intimidated by the tenants, and neither is God. If God wasn't intimidated by Nebuchadnezzar, if God wasn't intimidated by Cyrus and Darius, if God isn't intimidated by Alexander the Great, and if God wasn't intimidated by the great uh, Caesars of Rome, Julius Caesar, um, Caesar Augustus, Octavian, Tiberius, Cagula, all those characters. He wasn't intimidated by them. He's not going to be intimidated by what's set up now either. And he's going to build his kingdom. But it will come with tremendous offense. And will we land there? That, I believe, really is the underside or the underbelly or the dark side of Christmas that we, we know, that needs to be talked about as we head into 2.14. Let's pray. Father, it takes great courage and faith. We're going to sing a song, Lord, that is a, a great song of worship, but it pinpoints us back to who, Lord Jesus, you claim to be and why we gather on Sundays. Lord, we, we know we look stupid in people's eyes. Why would you get up on a rainy Sunday to come to church when it's wet and cold outside, when you could stay in your nice, warm bed? What would motivate a people to do such a foolish thing? Lord, we pray that uh, you would help us be all in for you. And we seek you for that. We seek you for answering the question well, who do you say that I am? May you find us responding like Peter. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
and on this rock you will build your church. And Lord, we pray for that in your name. Amen.